When you think of Christmas, you think of red and green, gold and silver, colors bright as the spirit of the day. Who would ever pair up Christmas with black, the saddest and most somber of all colors? And yet black is a part of the Christmas fantasy, too. Black that glistens like the gleam of satin. Black soft and deep as night itself. Black woven into the Christmas patterns of poetry and superstition. We'll follow the dark contrast of black through the fantasy today, but first there's something else to follow, some good advice from a friend of ours. been a number of years now since the black boots were seen in Midville, but nearly every Christmas someone brings up the subject, and that's not surprising, for it was a very strange affair, was the affair of the haunted boots. The haunted boots? Tommy Wilson found them one December morning sitting right on the front steps of his house. For all the world, like some footsore stranger had stopped to rest for a moment, slipped off his boots, and forgotten to put them back on again when he went away. They were bright black as patent leather. It must have taken years of polishing to make them that bright. Tommy slipped off his shoe and shoved his foot into one of the boots. It was warm, as though the owner had just stepped out of it. Guiltily, Tommy looked up and down the walk. There wasn't a single solitary footprint, not even a stocking-footed print. The owner must have just flown away. Nope, not a footprint in sight, but something else was. Lippy Preble, the meanest kid in town, was just now coming down the street. Hiya, said Lippy. Where'd you get the boots? Stole them, I suppose. Tommy shook his head. I found them. That's lucky, said Lippy, because I lost him. Tommy was sure Lippy was lying, but he couldn't prove it. Come on, jerk, Lippy said. Give me the boots. He pushed Tommy roughly and yanked the boots out of his hand. Off he went down the street whistling. Tommy looked after him in helpless anger, and he saw Lippy stop whistling and look back. 
Lippy was getting a strange sensation under his arm where he carried the boots. They were warm, with a warmth that seemed to reach right into his heart. And for about the first time in his 15 years, Lippy was sorry he'd acted so tough. But it wasn't in him to apologize. He kept right on down the road, thinking how he could change the boots into cigarette money. He thought of selling them to the old skinflint Deben who owned Midville's biggest department store. He'd say they were Santa boots. They looked like Santa boots. Old Deben listened to Lippy's sales talk and held the boots. And though he couldn't explain why, he wanted them badly. What's your price, he asked. Nothing, Lippy heard himself say it with surprise. Nothing. I'm giving them to you. Well, that was a shock. But old Mr. Devon survived, and he rejoiced accordingly. There was nothing like getting something for nothing. Briskly and happily, he went on about the business of hiring a store Santa Claus. He was sure this was his lucky day when he spotted the next applicant. A short, round little fella with a bona fide white beard. That was the real thing. The little man had a lively Irish twinkle in his eye, and he'd fit the Santa costume without padding. Devon said, you're hired. And the little man reached out, picked up the boots off Devon's desk. Guess these are for me, he said. Devon started to object, and then he thought, why not? Sure, if they'll fit you, he said. And the little man shook with a rumbling chuckle. They'll fit, he said, and fit they did. In the weeks that followed, Devon surprised himself and all of Midville when his hired Santa suggested that there wasn't much use asking kids to confide in Santa unless their wishes came true. He heard himself agreeing that the store would give each child one of the things he wanted. He must have been delirious, he thought, but darn if it wasn't fun. And he convinced himself it was good business, too. These kids will grow up and buy layettes and furniture someday, and right off they'll head for Devon's department store, a store with a heart. Now there was a slogan for you. He passed it on to publicity, the store with a heart. And to live up to it, he planned a Christmas Eve party for the whole town. After the party, old Devon sank into his swivel chair. Funny, he wasn't tired at all, just happy. And there on the desk was the red Santa suit his hired Saint Nick had worn. And Devon's remembering those beautiful boots looked about for them too. But they were gone. Now I wonder, he thought. I wonder, could they really belong to Santa Claus? Then he shook his head. Nah, it couldn't be. That's a crazy idea. But just the same, I wonder what happened to the boots. Little Tommy Wilson would have told him, heck, just like the guy that wore them. They probably just flew away. Shines out.
Lighthearted songs, we turn to lighthearted shopping for you from this friend of ours. time of the year, but particularly at Christmas, there's nothing quite like a gift for a friend. Six of us gathered together. We were eager to honor a friend. For something of gold or of silver, we were willing our money to spend. We were anxious to give him a token, a watch or a pin or a ring, as a permanent symbol of friendship. But no one could think of a thing. 
nothing he needed or said that he wanted, no gift which our love could supply, which already his purse hadn't purchased, and better than that we might buy. A dinner, he dines on the finest. A watch, he now carries the best. Already we knew him provided with all that our minds could suggest. So we gave up the thought of a token and sent him a feebly drawn scroll as a mark of our lasting affection, which his children might someday unroll. But I couldn't help thinking that evening, the happiest mortals who live are those who have left to their friendship just something or other to give. The joy or surprise and the gladness of owning a gift from a friend are the thrills which can never be purchased, though millions a rich man may spend. And there is a rapture in giving, which friendship is eager to know. For love and affection seek ever some token of worth to bestow. Though all men are toiling for riches, may it never be said, while I live, that I furnished my life so completely that friends could find nothing to give. One of the most popular Yuletide symbols is the Christmas tree itself. Though many authorities trace its origin to ancient Egypt, most of them believe that it got its start in the 5th century, when Martin Luther took an evergreen tree home to his children and decorated it attractively. Following this, many German villages got the idea of having a Christmas tree in the town square, all bright and all glowing. The pleasant custom was introduced into the United States by German immigrants. John C. Bushman, a German, is said to have put up the first Christmas tree in Westfield, Massachusetts, in 1860. Incidentally, there is much symbolism in the predominance of green at Christmas. We find it in the holly, the wreaths, and the trees. And the reason? Because the color green carries with it the feeling of growth, of life, life everlasting, or renewal. Speaking of Christmas of this year, let's listen to this from a friend of ours.
black note in our Christmas fantasy appears in a legend and a custom. It stands starkly forth in the black silhouette of the castle. Standing watchful and silent over land, bright with Christmas candles and blazing Yule logs. Or at least that's the way it was in years gone by. As for how it is now, I do not know. Wars crumble castles and traditions, and both may be dust today. But be that as it may, the reason for the castle's grim darkness on Christmas Eve makes a fascinating Christmas story. <laughs> the story goes, a princess lived in the castle. A princess was kind as she was beautiful. Yes, even kind to the ugly little toad she saw sitting glumly below her window one early spring morning. She had just risen from the luncheon table to look out to see if any flowers were coming up. And there sat the sad-looking toad. He blinked solemnly up at her, and she at once thought he must be hungry. Quickly, she stopped the page who was clearing the table. Don't throw the crumbs away, she said. Bring them to me. And she tossed them down to the little toad. From deep in his chest, he croaked, Crump! Before he touched so much as a crumb. This, the princess took to mean, thank you. And delighted with him, she saved crumbs from the lunch table every day to give him. Of course, the princess, being both so beautiful and so kind had other things to occupy her besides feeding a toad. She had suitors by the score. Finally, there was one young prince who won her heart completely. Why, he even laughed at the toad's solemn croak of thank you and said, my, he's an ugly beast, but what a personality. I kind of like the old fellow. The toad must have approved of the prince, too. Or otherwise, how could we explain what happened next? It happened on the eve of the prince's wedding. She fell asleep, excited, shy, and a little frightened as most girls are. And much to her surprise, she dreamt, not of her prince, but of the toad. It seemed he came to her bedside carrying a tiny satin cushion, and on it there was a golden ring. Be married with this ring to seal the pledge, he said, and good fortune will always be yours. She felt herself nodding in her sleep, and then the toad added, However, there is one danger from which the ring cannot protect you. It is fire. But it is no threat to you except on Christmas Eve. Remember, beware of fire on Christmas Eve. When the princess awoke, she laughed, remembering it all. Such a ridiculous dream. And then, on the bedside table, she saw a tiny satin cushion bearing the golden ring. It wasn't a dream then after all. And remembering the toad's promise of good fortune, she made sure this was the golden ring the prince slipped on her finger that day. And like all long ago stories, prince and princess were married and lived happily ever after. Possibly that's because they also remembered the toad's warning about fire on Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve, every fire on every hearth and every candle in the castle were extinguished. Special guards were set, so no flame would be struck, and the castle remained safe through the centuries. Or so it was until recent years, 
Perhaps during the war years, the toad's prophecy of danger of fire on Christmas Eve came true, with fire hurtling through the sky. Whether you believe in dreams or not, the story is one of the strangest in the collection of Christmas fantasies, facts, and legends. Here we come a-caroling among the leaves so green. Here we come a-wandering so fair to be seen. Love and joy come to you, and to you glad Christmas too. And God bless you and send you a happy new year. And God send you a happy new year. We are not daily beggars that go from door to door, but we are friendly neighbors whom you have seen before. Love and joy come to you, and to you that Christmas too. And God bless you and send you a happy new year. And God send you a happy new year. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Good tidings to you wherever you are. Good tidings for Christmas and a Happy New Year. We wish you a Merry Christmas, we wish you a Merry Christmas, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We wish you a Merry Christmas, we wish you a Merry Christmas, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Speaking of the gayest things Christmas brings, certainly this news from a friend of ours qualifies. the keeper of the inn, but no hint to me was shown, and I didn't let them in. Yes, a star gleamed overhead, but I couldn't read the skies, and I'd given every bed to the very rich and wise. And she was so poorly clad, and she hadn't much to say, but no room for them I had, so I ordered them away. She seemed tired, and it was late. And they begged so hard that I, feeling sorry for her state, in the stable, let them lie. 
Had I turned some rich man out just to make a place for them, could have killed beyond a doubt all my trade at Bethlehem. And then there came the wise men three to the stable with the morn, who announced they'd come to see the great king who had been born. And they brought him gifts of myrrh, costly frankincense and gold, and a great light shone on her in the stable bleak and cold. All my patrons now are dead and forgotten. But today, all the world to peace is led by the ones I sent away.